welcome once again. Welcome to Epiphany Church. And uh, I'm so glad you're here in person or you're joining us online. And it's been almost a month since I preached, so I hopefully didn't forget how to do it. Um, every time someone else would preach, even for like one week, Dylan used to joke, welcome back from retirement. <laughs> so I hereby announce I'm unretired. <laughs> and uh, I really miss it. I really love taking time and reading God's word and studying it and studying the history of it and praying for you. I don't know how, if you know how this works, but, but you'll take the week and you'll spend hours and hours and hours first making sure that you're not misspeaking. I know sometimes folks think it's just like, just like making stuff up when you come up here, but that's not how it works, <laughs> right? You know, you're spending hours making sure that what you say is actually faithful and true to what God has said in his word. But it's not only that, right? Because it's also hours of prayer for you and praying about how the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in a specific and special way in this time right now. We're not just studying this old document and trying to figure out what it means in some cold, detached way, but it's a double-edged sword. It's living. It's able to separate soul from spirit. It's able to convict us. It's able to cause us comfort when we're out of gas and we're ready to give up. God's word and God's truth is able to encourage us when nothing else can and it's kind of this like amazing thing you think about this this does not happen in our culture where we come and we gather together and we sit and we pray and we ask God to speak to us it's a, it's a wild thing that we're doing right now it's a wild thing we can say stuff to each other and God definitely uses that Right When we are one-on-one -on -one and we speak truth into each other's lives, we need to do that. Right? But we also need to hear like a hundred gallons of truth sometimes <laughs> in a context like this where we might not hear this from a friend. <laughs> we need to open up our spirit. So let's pray. Father God, I pray once again, I pray, Father, that you would be with us. You would speak. You would help me, a sinner, sharing your salvation with fellow sinners. But we together are being made new. We together are not who we used to be. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we're in a new series, Kingdom in the Chaos. Somebody say that. Yeah, Kingdom in the Chaos. So we're going to be studying the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, and the book of Ruth. And we're going to walk through this chunk of the Old Testament. And what you're going to see here is that we're going to end up with the promise of God's kingdom. But this promise is being set in a context full of chaos which should sound kind of familiar. 
right? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Right. So we still, as God's people, are living in chaos, and we're praying for the kingdom to come. And so when we look at the Old Testament, we're going to see that God is building this kingdom, and it's a lesson for us. It's all the examples of God's people in the past are lessons for us, models for us, examples for us, and they show us the way in the faith. And so what we do is we got to remind you, first of all, of the book of Genesis and Exodus a little bit. Um, we preach Genesis and Exodus, but not everybody was around for that. When we get to Genesis, we, we literally start at the beginning of time. <laughs> the word Genesis means beginning. And the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. And God spoke everything into existence in chapter 1. And there were these three days where God made these spaces. He made the land. He made the sea. He made the sky. And then the next three days, right, he fills those spaces with life, with birds and, and, and plants and animals and fish. And we learn that God is the one who takes the chaotic place, the uninhabitable place, and he makes it habitable. And then he fills it with life. And he's continuing to do that today. We learn that God is good and that this world he created is good. And that God made mankind. And what did he say after he made Adam and Eve? He said it was very good. So he made everything else. Now, we got it backwards, right? And if you have been through a lot of stuff in your life, um, I bet you have either said this or have friends that have said this. You're like, like I like animals, people I can't take. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what people say. I'm not saying it's right. It, according to the Bible, right, we shouldn't feel that way. You can love your animals, but here's the thing. God made us. We just, fall, we just, we just wandered that far off from our original creation, that we can actually be like, I'd rather be hanging out with my cats than my family. Because <laughs> my family drives me nuts, and these cats just come up, and they're low maintenance, <laughs> right? But the reality is, is that God made all these things, and they are good in them themselves, but he made men and women with like a special dignity they were made, we were made to, to co-rule the world with God. We were made in the image of God. So back in the olden days, that was a phrase that would be left for the kings, for the pharaohs, for the, for the powerful, right? They'd make a statue and they'd be like, this is so-and-so made in the image of God. And what that represented is that the kings were like the representatives, the physical representatives of God on earth. But this is what the Bible teaches, is that every single man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. And so young and old are made in the image of God. Men and women are made in the image of God. Rich and poor are made in the image of God. And that is God's original plan. But we know that that plan did not last long, right? 
before there was trouble. And, I mean, you know the story? They're in the garden of God, <laughs> and the serpent enters in. And Adam and Eve had choice between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, and they chose the one tree they could not have. And all of a sudden, all of their relationships are alienated. All of a sudden, men and women, they can't get along. <laughs> There's like this fight described between men and women. And I need you to know that in the scriptures, the, 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 the battle for power between men and women is not something that God like ordained for it to be, but it's a part of the curse. <laughs> Right? It's a part of the curse. It wasn't God's idea like, oh, it would be awesome if men and women like, would just try to manipulate each other and get power over each other. That would be awesome. That's not God's plan. <laughs> but it's part of the curse. They, they became alienated from each other, from the garden, from the, the land they were a part of. And most importantly, they became alienated from their creator. And so I need you to know that Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are very much about these themes that we found in the beginning of the Bible. And it's still very much about a land. It's still very much about an Eden, a paradise, a promised land flowing, right, with milk and honey. It's still very much that God had promised a place where God's people could return. It's also about God having a people who belong to him. The whole entire Bible, in fact, is about God wants you back. God wants you back. Ever since the day you left, ever since the day our parents left paradise, God has been chasing us. And that's the funny thing sometimes, you know, we go to church or we're here in religion or we get into the occult and we think it's like we got to find knowledge, we got to find power, here's some tricks, here's some meditation, here's some habits we can form. And we think we are pursuing God, but the story of the Bible is that we're running away and hiding from God and God is running after and looking for you. Even in the garden, it says that God was walking in the garden and said, where are you, Adam? calling out in the middle of the day. And God doesn't want you to hide anymore. You can be in the church and hiding. And he doesn't want us to hide. And then we read in Genesis 3, 14, we have this text that says, so the Lord God said to the serpent. So this was the judgment on the, the serpent after Adam and Eve had eaten from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because you have done this, you will be cursed more than any livestock. You and more than any wild animal, you will move on your belly and eat dust the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The story of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth continue the story of this great war for a place and a people of God. 
It continues this great story. And with this serpent, this is the direction of the whole Bible. Satan wants to isolate you from God and from everyone else. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to get you in a corner. He wants you to think that no one could ever love you. He wants you to think that you don't need them anyway. You're better than them, and they never would understand. Right? That they could never relate to the things that you've been through. But God wants his people back. He wants his people in a promised place. And God promises you love. And he promises you himself. Why? Satan promises you knowledge and power and identity and freedom and all these cheap things that we think life is worth living for. And God is like, all you need is me. I'm your creator. And we're, we can be like, nah, God. But I also need this other stuff. God promises us himself and he promises us a place so joshua is going to be this book about conquering a place but god still promises us a place as christians if we're in christ we're christians a place where we can be in his presence a place where we will never get sick place where we will never fight a place where we're never alone we're never hurt we feel God's love we feel his joy and we do exactly what we were made to do and we live forever like that's the good news that God is still calling his people back. He wants you to be in a relationship with him and you get a new destiny and that destiny is heaven he wants you. He wants you back. And so let's look a little bit at this book and how it starts in Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now you... And all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm going to give to the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your feet treads. Just as I promised Moses, your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, and all the land of the Hittites, and the west and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will never leave you or abandon you. That's, that's a good word, and it should sound familiar. <laughs> Amen. 
The first thing I want to deal with here in this book, in this book of the Bible, is that Joshua, the name Joshua, this man, right, of God that God will use to bring his people into the promised land. Up to this point, they were wandering around in the wilderness with Moses. And now Moses has died. And now Joshua is going to take them over the river Jordan, and they're going to go into the land. And I want you to notice this, that Joshua is the English version of Yeshua. And some of you, that might mean something, right? Yeshua is this Hebrew name. It means God saves, Yahweh saves. And Joshua is the one who's going to lead God's people into the promised land because his name means God saves. This is really important to us. His name is the same name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? And the reason that we don't call Jesus Joshua is this. Yeshua was not translated, but transliterated. Somebody say transliterated. So instead of using words, sorry, instead of using letters that sound close, they use the corresponding letters even if they had an entirely different sound. Um, so I got, I'll put, put up on the slide. This is really important because somebody like can trick you and, 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 and head you down a crazy path. You know what I mean? And you don't need to because this is really basic, like really easy to find. This is not some secret stuff, okay? You don't need to do a deep dive on TikTok. <laughs> this is stuff everybody knows, and yet people use ignorance to prey on us, right? And so what's going on here is there the Hebrew word for Yeshua, right? Now, can anybody read that? That's hard to read unless you studied Hebrew, amen? <laughs> All right? And then the Greek, right? That, that, the, the script on that is a little more familiar, right? And then the Latin, the script on that, looks pretty close, right? Pretty close to something that we recognize. So what happens is, is when we went from Hebrew to Greek, instead of taking the letters from the alphabet that sounded like Yeshua and just like kind of gave a Greek accent to Yeshua, what happens is, is they just took the letters and they used the same exact corresponding letters and you get an entirely different sound. Like, Jesus. <laughs> and then you get it in Latin, right? <laughs> and it's like, Jesus, or Jesus, <laughs> right? And then you get it in English, and Spanish, and all these others, right? Yesu, Jesus, Jesus. And you see what happened there? Because what will happen is people will say, Jesus is not the name. <laughs> it's a pagan name. And sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, you worship the wrong Lord. This is all made up. It's a, it's, a, it's a Greek God. And no, Greek was the language that everybody spoke. It's like, it's like you know what I mean? Around the world, people might speak one language, but then they might also speak English if they live in Western Europe, right? So they can do business. When I lived in East Africa, people had a language that they grew up with, that they spoke in their home with their tribal language. Then they also knew Swahili. 
And then depending on the nation, they might have also known French or they might have also known English. And so it's just important to know the reason that we have this word that looks so different is that because of the fact that they, 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 they exchanged the letters instead of the sounds. And then it just came down to us over the centuries. And obviously Jesus sounds different than Joshua. But what matters is not how we pronounce his name. What matters is who we serve. Amen? And I'm spending time so you wouldn't be led astray. But it's not the language you pronounce the name in that matters. What matters is who you serve. Do you serve someone who's not an angel, not like equal to Michael, but who is 100% God and 100% man? He's the one who gave sight to the blind. He's the one who healed the sick, raised the dead, and fed the hungry. And he loved the people around him. And he, and he wrapped them. One point, at near the end of his life, he took off his robe, right? And he wrapped it around his waist. And he started washing his disciples' feet. And then he said, you know what? I want you to do the same thing. Follow me. Be a kind servant of everyone. And then he did the ultimate service for us. He went to the cross. And he died the death we all deserve to die. And he rose from the dead. So if that's who Jesus is to you, then you're worshiping Yeshua. You're worshiping the right one. And it doesn't matter how you pronounce his name. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. Don't be led astray. And that's right. We're not going to preach the book of Joshua without taking some notes of comparison between Jesus and Joshua. They have the same name. <laughs> They're used by God <laughs> to bring God's people into the promised land. There's a lot of similarities, right? We're going to look at them. We're going we're gonna to note them. We're going to talk about them. They're like, man, I go to this church. All I ever talk about is Jesus. Welcome to a Christian church. Amen. <laughs> That's what Christian churches do. We love Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And here God promises Joshua a physical and temporary inheritance at the death of Moses and a promise from the voice of God that he would be with him. Remember I said that should sound familiar? Everything is flipped, though, with, with Jesus. Our Yeshua, our Joshua because Jesus is, instead of this being the beginning of the book, the end of the book, right? The end of the gospel. Jesus is the Lord God, Yahweh, who speaks to his disciples that they, that he would never leave them. That he would they'd never leave them or forsake them. And he commissions them. Just like God commissions Joshua and says he's never going to leave you. And he says, go into the land. I'm going to give you every single place your foot touches, right? 
Jesus goes to his disciples before he ascends into heaven and he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And guess what? Everywhere you go, you're going to preach the gospel. Make disciples in my name. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you and the nations will come. Not just one. So God didn't promise just this sliver of land in the Near East where the Canaanites lived and their sin had reached its full measure and it was time for their judgment. But God had promised all the nations of the earth. Next weekend, the youth are going on a retreat and they're going to hear about the fact that they can go, they can send, they can be a part of God's worldwide mission around the earth. They're going to go up to Fort Washington, and there's this castle, right, on the top of the hill. It's a beautiful place. And there's some people there that have been missionaries, are going to be missionaries. They're on furlough. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And they're going to hear from people. And they're going to hear about how God works in every corner of the earth. I want you to know that we are a corner of the earth. We're here in Gloucester City talking about Jesus in a language that didn't yet exist <laughs> when Jesus commissioned his disciples. We are a part of that worldwide mission. We are a mission field. <laughs> and God has sent his word to us. Praise him. And so we don't conquer physical land, defeat physical enemies in the way the book of Joshua tells us, but we do conquer spiritually and forever. <laughs> Amen? It really matters that the one who would bring God's people to the Old Testament picture of heaven is named Joshua or Jesus. <laughs> Moses was used by God to deliver his people from the house of slavery. Moses was the prophet, the one who met with God, who brought down the Ten Commandments, right, from Sinai. He was the one called the greatest prophet. He's the one, though, he had a stutter. He went up to Pharaoh and was like, let my people go. <laughs> he was the one who God used to send the ten plagues to show off his glory and his power. God just was like, I'm going to turn the light off now. Bloop. <laughs> God was like, oh, this river that gives you life, the Nile, the great thing that you worship, that you think is your God, I'm just going to turn it blood red. Boop. <laughs> you, you, you get what I'm saying? Like God was just showing off through his servant Moses. And he leads God's people through the wilderness. And they followed a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by the day. And they wandered around for 40 years. But the greatest title given to Moses, do you know what it is? Wasn't prophet, wasn't miracle worker, wasn't leader. It was the friend of God. It says Moses is the friend of God because he spoke with God like a man, speaks with another face to face. He heard his voice. And near the end of his life, just before what we are reading now in Joshua chapter 1, he climbed Mount Nebo where he could see with his own eyes the land that God had promised. So imagine the last 40 years you're in the wilderness, you're dealing with like the most complaining, awful people. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? But God kept miraculously showing up, and he took care of you, and you're at the end of the life, and he sees with his eyes, and he sees it through a veil of tears. There is the promised land. There it is. But he wasn't allowed to enter it. That was Joshua's job. No one from this generation, in fact, was. This is going to be repeated lesson in the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. God deals with generations. He does. This is difficult to understand. Moses, in a unique way in the Bible, was called the friend of God. And yet, it wasn't until Jesus came when he gave the Holy Spirit and he promised in John 15, 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. But before that point, Moses held a really unique place among God's people. And he took the gifts that God had given him. And in his weakness and his anger, he struck a rock with his staff. Because it's the people were like, we're going to die. We need to drink. We're thirsty. We're out here in this wilderness. And he wasn't led by God. And he wasn't led by godliness. He wasn't led by the Holy Spirit. He was led in his anger and in his flesh. God still did the miracle. And this is something crazy for us to wrap our minds around. We can abuse the good things of God. We can abuse our talents. We can abuse our gifts. Every gift of God can be abused. Don't let that shock you. People will abuse everything. People abuse good Bible theology. They do it all the time. You can even fast, you can pray, you can quote scripture, you can know things about people that no one could know and, the, and have a knowledge of people's secrets, right? You can pray for stuff and miracles happen. You can have a, a measure of God's power resting on you and not flow in obedience to God. You can abuse knowledge, you can abuse prophecy, you can abuse healing, you can abuse every good thing. I remember listening to this, this conversation. It's online. You can look it up. The Elephant Room. It's all these pastors. And they're talking to this one guy. And they're like, Is it, do you ever go too far, you know what I mean, in attracting people? You know what I mean? In the music you play and the things you do. And the one guy was like, like, is there a bad way to get saved? And they all laugh. And they're all in agreement that what really matters is doing what works, but not according to the Bible. It doesn't matter if it works. It doesn't matter if God healed. It doesn't matter if thousands of people came. If you didn't do it the way God wanted you to, there's going to be a consequence. Success is not everything. Power is not everything. The ends don't justify the means. The results are not all that matters. And so this man, the friend of God, had to hit up against God's boundaries. 
God does not have toxic, no limit loyalty to you. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? <laughs> Come on. Now, I know a lot of us have really unhealthy, no limit loyalty to our family, <laughs> right? Like somebody hits our family, we go into jail with them. <laughs> I need you to know that God does not have no limit loyalty to you. He is loyalty. His loyalty is with the truth, with himself, with holiness, with goodness. He is not going with war to you, with you when you're in the wrong war. We're going to see that in the book of Joshua. <laughs> we can never take God for granted. And so God can love you, and he loved Moses, and he can use you, and he, like he used Moses, and still be like, you're not going to get to do this part. That's for someone else. Right? And there are things... There are things that our kids may get to do that we don't because of the decisions we made. There, there are some places that our kids may go that we can't because of the decisions we made financially, physically, emotionally. We're called to do all that we can to serve the Lord with what we have. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to take the next generation to other places. But it also flips on the other side. And we're going to see that in the book of Judges. Right? What happens when a generation turns their back to God and walks away from him? What happens when it was our parents who were following God, though they were messed up and broken like everybody else, but we couldn't go as far as them? What happens to the generation under us? When each generation just keeps walking farther and farther away from God, we're going to learn about that too. But this right now, for the next few weeks, is Joshua's time. And he is going to enter the land. There is going to be victories. We are going to learn about it. And it's going to be encouraging, right? So let's continue. It says in Joshua chapter 1, 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them an inheritance. Above all, be strong, be very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. Did you hear that? You are to meditate on it. We heard a word about that last week, right, from Pastor Ted. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. This isn't like some whack. Listen, there's false teaching about prosperity. That doesn't mean that God does not show us how to prosper and succeed. <laughs> okay? Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
We get to go into the battles. We will get to learn the lessons on leadership. We will get to learn the lessons on living in victory and why we sometimes get spiritually stuck in the next few weeks. We get to be a fly on the wall when God shows up in miraculous ways, right? And some of you remember the stories when you were a kid, when they like walked around the city of Jericho and beat the pans and, you know what I mean, and blew the horns and the the walls fell down. But we're also going to get to be a fly on the wall and see when when God's people got presumptuous and they figured God's with us and everywhere we go, people afraid of us. And they go with a whole bunch of people outnumbering their enemies and they still lose. <laughs> because unless God is with you, you will lose. <laughs> right? <laughs> unless God is with you, you will lose. Last Thursday, we have morning prayer every Thursday from 8 to 10 in the morning. I love it. We were meditating on Psalms 30, 31, and 32. And in Psalm 30, verse 7, it says, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. Anybody want to stand like a strong mountain? I do. Come on. I don't want to be ruled by anxiety or envy or be angry or, or like have my eyes wander around looking for things, looking at other people's lives and thinking I wish I had what they had. No, I want to be a strong tower in God with deep roots. But then the verse ends this way. When you hid your face, I was terrified. <laughs> if you go and God is not with you in the battle, you will lose. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to be in these books and learn all kinds of stuff about leadership, about spiritual warfare, about victory, about claiming the authority that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Amen? And I want you to be encouraged. I want you to come. I want you to listen. I want you to, like, rearrange your weekend and make sure you're here because this is really not that big of an ask. Did you remember what I say, all the things that God gives us? Like, oh, we only get to live forever without pain. <laughs> it's a beautiful promise. But it's not for us if we're not interested in it. Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. You can have... Some experiences with church. Some experiences with Jesus. And not really. Get to see the things that he's called you to see. Because you've made other things a priority. And they might be good things. They might be your work. They might be your family. They might be your health. They might be really good things. God knows you need all those things, by the way. He wants you to succeed in all those things. He wants to bless you in all those things. But you got to put him first. You do. We will have so much to learn. And I'm praying that you will be able to learn it with us. That you go on this journey together with us, however God leads us in this part of the Old Testament that we might not be that familiar with. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this group of people that you have called together tonight, those watching online, and those who couldn't make it. 
Lord, all the people that would claim this place and these people as their own. I pray, Father, that we would experience a new level of victory in our lives, a new level of joy, a new level of encouragement, a new level of walking in your authority and in your power, Lord. But we also pray, Father, that we wouldn't just chase after things that sound good and make us feel good, that we wouldn't be led astray, that we would be grounded in your truth, that we would be bleeding your word, that we wouldn't take your good things and abuse them like Moses did. But we do pray that we would be your friend, that we would hear your voice. Thank you, God, that you have not actually called us to be Joshua, Jesus. <laughs> you have called us to follow Jesus. <laughs> Thank you that you have not called us to be the Savior, <laughs> to be the conqueror, but that in you, you conquer, and you conquer us, and you work through us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you forgive us of sins. You remove our shame, and you bring us into a family. And we pray that you do this in the months to come. Amen.